0: Welcome to Manufacturing Talk Radio, the only show that takes a look at the obstacles and opportunities open to small to mid-sized enterprises that manufacture here in America. Brought to you by All Metals and Forge Group, with your hosts, Tim Grady and Lou Wise.
1: welcome everyone to manufacturing talk radio we're very pleased today to be broadcasting to you from the exhibit hall floor of the Institute of Supply Management's conference out in Phoenix Arizona this is their 100th anniversary exhibit and conference out in Phoenix and I have to tell you if you're if you have any purchasing people in your organizations and they're not here they should be here even if it's just one person this a lot of terrific information excellent networking taking place here I'm here with my co-host, Lou Weiss. Lou, how are you today? I'm doing great. I'm doing great.
2: Day two, we have one more day to go, and we're, we've been meeting a lot of great people, including our present uh, guest, uh, and we have more people to meet and greet.
1: We are always excited to have on the show uh, Brad Holcomb. Brad is the chair of the Institute of Supply Management Manufacturing Business Survey Committee every uh, month on the first business day of the month, but somewhere between 10 and ten twenty. The Purchasing Manager's Index comes out in the Report on Business for Manufacturing. Brad is always very kind to join us on the show and go into a deep dive on that information. Brad, welcome again.
3: Thank you very much. It's great to be here. It's great to be at the 100th Anniversary ISM Convention. There's a lot of buzz, a lot of great workshops, as you mentioned, training, networking. There's a lot of mentoring going on here and also a fine exhibit hall where a number of companies are exhibiting their, their services and their products.
1: Now, you, at uh, 1030, uh, Brad has to step out, and then Tom Deary, who is the CEO of the Institute of Supply Management, is going to join us and talk about the mastery model. But in this segment, we're going to talk about this report on business for manufacturing. Brad, how, how are things looking?
3: Good. On May 1st, we did release the April manufacturing report, and the PMI came in at 51.5, which is the same number as last month. But I like it a little bit better, and I'll try to explain why as we go along over the next uh, few minutes.
1: Great. Why don't you uh, give us uh, kind of an overview of the report, Brad, uh, because you like it better. What's better in this report than, than the last one last month?
3: Well, first of all, as as you all know by now, we cover 18 different manufacturing sectors in in the broad uh, industry we call manufacturing. And this month, 15 of the 18 are reporting growth. And only 10 were reporting growth uh, last month. And here's why we've got 15 that are reporting growth. New orders are up 1.7 percentage points to 53.5. 11 industries are reporting growth, whereas only nine were reporting growth last month. Production is also up 2.2% to 56, which is a very nice number, indicating growth for the 32nd consecutive month. Uh, We're showing 13 different industries uh, reporting growth in production versus just nine last month. Uh, And so those are some of the the real positives that I see in this particular 51.5.
1: Brad, how many respondents, how many companies are involved in this survey that you reach out to?
3: Great question. Uh, In our panel on the manufacturing side, we have about 350 what we call panelists positioned across 18 different industries in about 350 different companies or different plants uh, around the country. So it's very widely distributed, uh, widely representative of what's going on in manufacturing. And many of these individuals uh, have been doing this for a number of years. So they've got stroke within their company, they have access to other departments that have information to contribute, and they fill out a, a certain survey form every month send it in, we compile the data here in uh, the Phoenix area in Tempe, uh, then I receive the reports and uh, or the data and, and write the reports and release them, as you mentioned, on the first business day of the month.
1: Fred, I know that of these 350 companies that you go out to, you take selected comments. We know that the GDP came in very soft at just 0.2% growth for the first quarter. What are your respondents saying is happening out there in their experience?
3: Well, you're right. As, as everyone knows, the first quarter, you know, felt soft all the way around, manufacturing included. Uh, the government has indicated a very low growth number, uh, and it's certainly lower than we anticipated. And by the way, uh, we do our initial forecast for the year 2015, last December, um, and On Wednesday, we're going to release a refresh of that, which we call the spring semiannual report, so we'll get into more of a forecast. But in December, we forecast a better beginning than we actually experienced, and there's a lot of reasons for that. Uh, This year, there are several things going on that we really didn't anticipate. Number one was the West Coast port slowdown issue, Mm -hmm. uh, which there's still some residual comments uh, from our panel. Uh, It's still not cleared up yet. Number two, we did have a a harsh winter in certain areas, uh, not so much as last year. Last year, if you remember, we had a very, very harsh historic winter and it slowed things down. So there was one big issue last time, last year. There are a few this year that sort of slowed us down. Nevertheless, we've been growing through it all. We've been growing for 28 consecutive months in manufacturing and for 71 consecutive months in the economy overall.
2: It's interesting that the import-export numbers uh, in this new report has gone up rather significantly. Uh, I guess that reflects the fact that the first quarter import-export numbers would have been affected by the LA uh, port issue.
3: Well, that's correct. And I think there are actually a couple of issues that, uh, that caused us to see exports down below 50 for the first three months of the year. Uh, one, you mentioned the West Coast port slowdown Uh, you know, our foreign uh, customers of our finished products could see that and were reluctant to place orders, realizing that they probably wouldn't get their shipments. But number two, the strong dollar has been uh, an impact as well. And I've said all along that I think that uh, that's just a reality. It's happened before that, uh, you know, our international customers will, will make adjustments. And this month, we see that exports are up, percent back over 50 nicely to 51.5 and back uh, buying our products, which they love.
1: Brett, what were some of the comments that you heard from your respondents as you uh, gathered the data and compiled it in this report?
3: Well, the first one, and it's an issue that uh, certainly uh, held us back uh, to some degree in the first quarter along with the other things that I mentioned, is the very, very low oil prices And the first comment is from the food, beverage, and tobacco products industry. And it's rather a positive. uh, So there are are pluses and minuses associated with with the oil issue. Mm -hmm. The first comment is that low energy costs continue to help the bottom line. And that, again, is the food and beverage uh, industry speaking. And that's because of two different things. First of all, people are saving money at the gas pump. And then they're going to the grocery store and spending some extra money. But secondly, um, their their raw materials uh, of their suppliers, like plastics in the packaging and so on, uh, they're feeling a positive effect in terms of raw materials, packaging, and so on as they put their products on the shelf. So there's a positive comment with respect to that. There are other uh, quite positive comments as, as well. And that uh, next one comes from the automotive industry, uh, fabricated metal products, which is one of your favorites, uh, right. of course, uh, that that industry is still very, very strong. Um, on the other hand, there are some some comments that uh, speak to the lingering issues and some of the other things that I've mentioned. One from chemical products is that foreign exchange uh, is reducing revenue, yeah. Right. The stronger dollar. Mm -hmm. Uh, But volume has remained consistent. That's from the same company, the same quote. Um, Computer and electronic products, which has been under pressure, and there's a lot of, you know, importing and exporting associated with computer and electronic products. The comment there is that international shipments still being delayed by the strikes at the port on the West Coast. Uh, also from the machinery uh, sector, uh, we hear from them that continuing to expedite shipments through Vancouver due to ongoing port delays. So it's not over yet. Uh, our supply managers are, are very capable of finding workarounds, other ports, uh, air shipments, et cetera. But, of course, those are costly, and everyone will be glad when that's completely cleared out but it's not cleared out completely yet.
2: I think that um, next month's numbers may reflect the fact that oil prices have started uh, ticking up. I think Friday's number was uh, $58, uh, which at the beginning of the month or back into April was uh, somewhere in the low 50s. So I I think you're going to start seeing a reversal in some of those uh, oil-related opinions.
3: Well, that, that'll be good because, as I mentioned, there are some positives associated with that. But that particular industry that we call petroleum and coal products uh, is really under a lot of pressure. They've been canceling orders from machinery. Mm-hmm. They've been letting people uh, go. Um, so the employment picture is, is not good in that industry. So, you know, that will certainly uh, be a nice pickup right. from that perspective. I think the magic number that we heard uh, from one of our guests was
2: $70, 75 is the sweet spot uh, for the oil, uh, oil pricing here in this country. So we certainly uh-huh. look forward to that because we actually sell a lot of uh, forged products into the oil and gas uh, right, industry.
3: Right, right. You know, while it does uh, impact certain com- companies in a specific way and our purchasing managers report it as such, I think another problem with these low oil prices is just the uncertainty about, you know, what happened, why did it happen, when is it going to get better, and so on. So it's difficult for companies to plan Mm -hmm. uh, their budgets and their their strategies uh, without really having a a solid, uh, you know, grasp of, of where it's going from here.
1: I have to tell you that Lou and I both lost a bet, but we didn't lose any money because we were betting on the same thing. Our guess was that the PMI number was going to roll up to somewhere below 50, and new orders would be down. And we lost on both of those. So explain to us what happened with new orders, because it looks very positive.
3: Well, it is very positive. And uh, as I said, there are 11 companies or 11 industries of the 18 reporting growth. And it's always about consumer confidence, and ultimately consumers going back to retail. We hear uh, and read headlines that uh, that those are ticking up, and uh, everything starts and ends with the consumer, ultimately, as it works its way back through manufacturing uh, on our side of the business, and and affects uh, Tony as well. As you know, the non-manufacturing report released this morning uh, is up, and uh, there's every potential for manufacturing to move in that direction as well. And
1: as Brad mentioned earlier, tomorrow we're having both Brad and Tony on a, another live show. That show is going to be at 1 p.m. Pacific time, 4 p.m. Eastern time. And we're going to talk about this uh, annual update and what has happened since December. So we certainly look forward to that. Um, employment. Now, you know, I I wasn't quite sure where employment was going to go. I know that they were looking for, or are looking for on Friday, 228,000 new jobs. What does employment look like in this
3: report, Brad? Well, it's very interesting. It's down 1.7 percentage points to below 50, where it was last month, to 48.3. So it is contracting for the first time in a long time. But let's and and as a result it brings down the PMI as I mentioned earlier new orders is up production is up supplier deliveries is up but the employment figure is sort of bringing it down I'm really okay with that because we've had good levels of employment we've had a strong run of of hiring more people month after month and I think due to the first quarter somewhat you know softer first quarter than people anticipated This is manufacturing just sort of tapping on the brakes to say, hey, let's take a look um, at where we go from here before we add more people. But, again, we've got good, solid levels of employment. Let me add just one one thing. We've Mm -hmm. got a comment. uh, We were talking about comments a few minutes ago. One of them from the furniture and related products industry says they're having a hard time finding labor, both skilled and unskilled. Remains difficult to find individuals, so that certainly impacts employment number as well. So I'm not particularly concerned about that. Um, and of course, in addition to the pure numbers every month, we ask people to look for trends and follow that with us as well.
1: And what has been the employment trend?
3: The employment trend uh, up until last month, which was fifty even, right at the break point between growth and, and contraction had been a run of some, I'm going from memory, 20, 20 months of, of consecutive uh, growth in employment. So manufacturing has been adding to their ranks as they see the new orders come in uh, to keep production moving, uh, to, to satisfy customer demand and keep customers happy. So do you see that this that period of time as a cooling off period,
2: sort of a wait and see?
3: You know, possibly. I don't really uh, make too much of one particular month, one particular number. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, once again, let me tee up the semi-annual forecast, which is going to be released on on Wednesday morning. We'll have a lot more to say in in more detail about where our panel thinks, the same panel thinks employment and all of these other vectors are going uh, for the balance of the year.
1: Brad, I see that production is up over last month, and the uh, new orders are also up over last month. Does production tend to react that quickly to new orders?
3: You know, it's it's interesting. P- production is kind of, um, you know, a thing of its own. Uh, manufacturers try to keep full employment and use the assets and, and the people resources that they have available, and they can't, can't, you know, they try to pre-plan that, of course, but the goal is always to 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 fully utilize the the employment on hand and the assets on hand and they'll first work against new orders to accomplish that that production leveling goal but to the extent that new orders aren't enough then they'll reach into the backlog of orders right you'll notice that the backlog stayed exactly even so production in this case was just keeping up more or less with with new orders
1: now, supplier deliveries, this is pretty critical because if your suppliers can't, and we're talking about supplying de- products, goods, and services into manufacturing so they can make their their products, uh, how is that doing? It seems to be you know, kind of hovering.
3: Well, we we like to see it over 50 in an environment of growth, which we've been in for some time, as I mentioned. When supplier deliveries are over 50, it means that the supply chain is tight, the suppliers are working hard, if not overtime, to catch up and fulfill those orders of raw materials and, and services to manufacturing. Uh, so when it's slowing over 50, we, we like that. It is over 50. It's been over 50 for 23 consecutive months. So that's a very positive thing, even though it's just barely over 50 at 50.1 this time.
1: Okay, and now these are, those are four so far of the five components that you use to balance against each other and come up with the PMI. Let's go into the fifth one, which is inventories.
3: Yes, and I'm glad you mentioned that. It's always a good reminder that the first five sub-indexes on our manufacturing and a glance table, new orders, production, employment, supplier deliveries, and inventories of raw materials are equally weighted into the PMI. So inventories of raw materials is at 49.5. It's down two percentage points from 51.5, indicating contraction. Manufacturing companies put a lot of muscle, a lot of resources, a lot of technology into managing its inventories well because there's a lot of money tied up into it. And manufacturing is counting on having the right level, and the right mix of inventories at all times to satisfy production and customer demand. So anything plus or minus two points above 50, I'm very happy with. It continues to signal to me that inventories are being managed very, very well by manufacturing. So we're in great shape right now.
1: Now, you also do a kind of off-the-books calculation between two of these, uh, subtract one from the other, and you come up with a number. Can you share that equation with our listeners?
3: Yes, just sort of on the side uh we We take a look at uh, new orders uh minus inventories in this case, uh, the math says that it 's four, and I like anything at five or above, so it 's almost there, and it just kind of represents uh you know some pull the customer order numbers is high uh, inventories is lower. Uh, we've seen it over the past you know, several months, particularly late last year in the, in the teens, which was a very strong pull. Uh, now it's approaching five, which I like, like as well. Of course, mathematicians would argue with me that you can't do that. Uh, nevertheless, uh, it's something that we watch.
2: If it, if it works, it works.
3: Exactly. <laughs> the heck with them. Now, customer inventories, these are the customers of the manufacturers. Where do you like
1: to see that number, Brad, and where is it actually today?
3: Good question. Customer inventories represents finished goods, and it could be at the end of our manufacturing lines. It could be in shipment. It could be on-site at our customers, but it is finished goods. And when it's too low, and it's very much too low now, it's at 44, down a point and a half, That indicates that the stocking, you know, uh, potential is there, the restocking, that the shelves are a little bit bare. Uh, So we like to see it under 50. Uh, It's well under 50 at this point, and it's a very positive thing when that happens. We we like seeing it that way. We like to see it tight. Yes, exactly.
1: Are there any particular industries where it looks like restocking is going to trigger first because... uh, of these very low, uh, in customer inventory numbers?
3: Um, there's only, there's only a couple. There are three industries that are reporting customer inventories being too high and that's petroleum and coal products. And we've talked a lot about that. They're being, you know, hammered by oil prices, fabricated metal products is, is interesting. Uh, and then food, beverage, and tobacco. So, you know, sometimes you can't sort of quite figure out what's going on here. And, again, follow the trends, not mm-hmm. necessarily the data points. Um, and and uh, in addition to those three, there are nine that are reporting inventories being too low. And the lowest of, of those is the transportation equipment, equipment uh, industry, mm-hmm. followed by primary metals. Again, one of your favorites.
1: Right. Well, that's good for All Metals and Forge Group, who is the sponsor of Manufacturing Talk Radio. You
3: know, everyone is talking about prices and where prices are going. What's the report
1: indicate for prices, Brad?
3: Prices, meaning prices of of raw materials, um, is at 44, under 50. It's been um, under 50 uh, significantly all year, and it's very, very unusual for that to happen at this time of year. Um, you know, in the procurement world, it's, it's that time of year when suppliers come to the table to negotiate new contracts for the coming year and prices generally go up this time. And it's all because of oil once again, and oil related commodities like resins and commodities that take a lot of energy to produce like steels and, and aluminum and nickel and all the metals. So once again, it's, um, It's low at 40.5. That means prices again are decreasing for the sixth consecutive month. Uh, As I said, it's very unusual. But there are a lot of positives associated with that. I don't think if it persists much longer that it will be viewed as such. But right now it's positive because two things. It translates into lower raw materials costs for most of our uh, industries and it takes less uh, cost to run our factories.
1: Let's talk about backlog of orders. This is one of Lou's favorite uh, areas of the report because he knows in his business, if he's got a high backlog of orders, he's got things he can be working on uh, in the near future. What does backlog of orders look like in this report?
3: Well, 49.5. 50 is always the magic dividing line. Uh, We like things, generally speaking, to be around 50 uh, or above, in this case, backlog of orders uh, is the same as last month at 49.5, really in great shape. What it means is that we've got a lot of uh, uh, production, uh, you know, sort of a grab bag. If if, uh, new orders don't come in, to the extent that we have production capacity available, they'll reach into that grab bag called, you know, backlog of orders. There's plenty to draw on. And, of course, that's all planned uh, as well in terms of a fence and a horizon so that we're satisfying customer demands, not just for new orders, but for backlog of orders. So it, to answer your question, uh, simply, it's in great shape.
2: I know that you uh, hate forecasting, so I, I keep pushing that curve on you.
3: <laughs> well, you know I did a master's thesis in forecasting, and, and uh, now I'm over it. <laughs> <laughs> that being said... Uh
2: the uh, non-manufacturing uh, report came out today, and the numbers are uh, quite good. Is that any indicator or precursor for the following month's manufacturing numbers? Is there any serious relationship between the
3: two? You know, it, it it varies. Sometimes manufacturing leads, sometimes, you know, the services uh, industry leads. I'll let my colleague Tony Nieves, you know, delve into that uh, in, in more detail. It's very, very good that it's up in a number of different dimensions. I quickly saw the report that was released uh, this morning. So, you know, up is good. Up and to the right is good, as we say. And uh, Tony has all the details.
2: So you're not committed. You're not committing to my question. You should run for political office
3: <laughs> not not going to happen, yeah uh,
1: Brad. The other place where uh, Lou and I lost a bet, again, we were both betting on the same number. We were convinced that exports were going down, and that's not what happened. Tell us what happened in this report
3: yeah exports is is up, and nine of our industries reported up, whereas only five were up last month. And, again, two things happened. Uh, We've got uh, a lot of of clearing that's gone on on the West Coast port uh, slowdown situation. So when foreign customers order their products, they can anticipate that they'll actually receive them in a timely manner so that they're placing more orders. And I think they're adjusting to the stronger dollar, and I think the euro has come back a little bit, so that may have uh, some impact as well. But the bottom line is that U.S. manufacturing has taken a leadership position, and it's kept that leadership position uh, with respect to the world economy. And people just love our products. They love our pricing. They love our selection and our innovation,
2: which is a good thing.
3: Yes, it always is.
1: And real quickly, let's touch on imports as we roll to the bottom of the hour here. And uh, Brad is going to have to slip out after – this segment, and we're going to have Tom Derry, who's the CEO of ISM, join us and talk about the mastery model, but what has happened with imports? Those also went up, and Lou and I would have bet those went down because of the West Coast port.
3: Well, imports is imports of raw materials uh, into manufacturing, largely speaking, could be sub-assemblies as well, and that's up a full point and a half to 54, been growing for 27 consecutive months, so I would never bet that that's going to go down. You know, okay. For your personal reference. Okay. Um, it's, it just shows that we like raw materials from around the world. There are many capable, you know, areas of the world in, in various dimensions. Uh, we talked about computers earlier in the show that there's a lot of activity that's you know very important uh, with respect to this, and our manufacturing um, personnel will find ways to get those materials to the U.S port slowdown or no port slowdown there's been a lot of effort in that regard to find workarounds in the short term air shipments etc and the numbers uh you know speak for themselves in that regard up a point and a half to 54
2: i'd like to uh point out for the listeners who tuned in uh late in the show that uh in about a half hour 40 minutes this broadcast will be uh podcasted on uh mfgtalkradio.com iTunes um, Podbean uh, Podbean and and, uh, all the other social media Uh, so we we welcome you to listen to the show in its entirety Um, and we will have uh, Tom Derry on in just a few moments Uh, I'd like to uh, thank uh, uh, Brad for his uh, usual uh, comments and uh, we welcome you to, and we're looking forward to seeing you tomorrow morning uh, uh, again, talking about the semi annual report, uh, and maybe we'll get uh, further insight into what's coming down the road. So
3: we will, for sure, on both sides, both manufacturing and non-manufacturing. Tomorrow morning, 11 o'clock Eastern time, will be the release of the semi annual report. It's been a pleasure to be with you. Thanks thank, very much. Thank you, Brad. And we're
1: going to take right. a quick commercial break, and we'll be right back.
0: Manufacturing Talk Radio will be right back.
4: How do you keep your business humming? Where do you go when you're looking for quality suppliers of new equipment, components, MRO supplies, repair services, or even raw materials? 30 years ago, you would have turned to the Thomas Register. Today, those big green books are better than ever at thomasnet.com, industry's leading platform for product sourcing and supplier discovery. You can easily find that local machine shop, national distributor, OEM, or any supplier having the right quality certification, fast and free. You can even get to specific products, components, or downloadable 3D CAD drawings, simply by entering specifications or part numbers. There's a reason thomasnet.com has become the go-to supplier discovery tool for procurement professionals and engineers. There's simply no other resource like it, and it's all free. Go to ThomasNet.com today and see how top-notch supplier discovery doesn't have to put a dent into your bottom line. American Crane and Equipment Corporation in Douglasville, Pennsylvania is a leader in
5: specialized cranes, hoists, and material handling equipment for industries including aerospace, nuclear, oil and gas, transit, construction, and waste handling. Call 877-877-6778 or visit AmericanCrane.com, that's AmericanCrane.com or 877-877-6778.
0: All Metals and Forge Group is an ISO 9001AS and EN 9100 manufacturer of open die forgings and seamless rolled rings in alloy, carbon, stainless and tool steels, aluminum, copper, titanium and nickel alloys. Visit us at steelforge.com or call 800-600-9290. Welcome back to Manufacturing Talk Radio.
1: Welcome back, Welcome back everyone, to Manufacturing Talk Radio. We're very pleased to have with uh, Lou and I, Lou, my co-host, uh, who is also the sponsor for the show through All Metals and Forge Group, Mr. Tom Derry. Tom is the CEO of the Institute of Supply Management and we're out at the 100th anniversary uh, conference and exhibit here in Phoenix, Arizona. Tom, welcome to the show. Thanks, Tim. It's really a pleasure to be with you. Well, we're very excited about what you uh, have introduced here at the show called the Mastery Model for uh, learning. And really, we, as we discussed uh, uh, yesterday and heard yesterday in some of the keynote addresses, that lifelong learning really is the goal with, any career, but particularly with purchasing and supply chain. And I want to congratulate you, Tom. This is a brilliant piece of work. Why don't you tell us a little bit about the mastery model? Well, thank you, Tim. That's quite a compliment. And
5: uh, we are very proud of the work that we've done. In fact, we think it's uh, really a seminal development for the field. Uh, I want to pick up on your your observation about the importance of lifelong learning. Uh, I think it's critically important in our profession, particularly because of the rapid acceleration of change and evolution. Mm-hmm. You can never take for granted that you've got a base of skills or a knowledge base that's going to be as relevant you know, in the, in the future as, as you have today. So it's really a requirement for people who are continuing to be successful in our field to continue to learn and evolve. Um, it's also true that we're facing a, a major demographic change in our society. Mm-hmm. Um, that clearly is impacting the manufacturing sector as well as other sectors of the economy. Uh, as baby boomers retire in mass numbers, Um, Many employers are finding it difficult to find qualified, skilled workers to fill that gap. Uh, And within a few years, the so-called millennial generation will make up the uh, the three-quarters of the global workforce within 10 years. Uh, And as a result, um, we need to create a path that rapidly prepares and accelerates the development of this younger workforce to get to the same level of mastery, the same level of competence and skill that the, the retiring workforce um, has achieved. So the, the, not only does this provide for a path for lifelong learning, it's a tool for millennials entering the workforce to understand what a roadmap looks like for their career, mm-hmm. what's going to be expected of them as they advance, and what do they need to focus on as they, as they do advance in their careers.
2: I'd like to uh, look at the, uh, the specifics of the uh, mastery model, what, what makes it
5: up. Well, we've got, uh, at a high level, we've identified 16 high level competencies that are required to be successful. Uh, and, and beneath those, they're developed into sub competencies that altogether comprise a total of 85 competencies. Wow. And, you know, it was interesting. In a, in a, in a discussion with CPOs at our conference yesterday, uh, one CPO was discussing a transformation that he went through with his team in a telecommunications firm. And a lot of the conversation among the, the fellow CPOs. Focused on not just the um, the the IQ, the intelligence quotient part, the stuff you have to know to be effective, but the EQ side of things, right? So how did you get people who could effectively engage with stakeholders in that company? You know, how could you? What was change management like? How did you plan for it and how did you practice it? So I'm I'm very pleased that our mastery model encompasses those kinds of competencies that really are qualified qualified, or required to be successful. the fundamental knowledge around negotiation and cost modeling, so that's table stakes to be successful in our profession. Mm-hmm. You only get so far if you haven't mastered things around stakeholder engagement and financial analysis and other aspects of business acumen. In fact, the most fully developed in the sense the competency that has the most um, uh, level of sub defined to find underneath it is actually the business acumen. Uh, Competency here, so we've got great depth in cost and price management. We've got great depth in negotiation. We've got great depth in supplier relationship management. But it's actually business acumen where practitioners, and by the way, this model was developed by practitioners. Hmm. That's where they see the greatest requirements.
2: Well, let me ask you a question. Uh, The ISM has been in existence now 100 years, and uh, you've been dealing with all these same issues. Uh, spatter here, smitten here, over the hundred years, and, and this is this is this the first attempt at putting it in under one umbrella, and call it an, a master plan for the next hundred years.
5: It really is, and I think that's the result of a couple of key um, developments. Um, you know, we've been offering certification for 40 years at ISF, right. 41 years now. So in some ways, the the master model reflects all of the expertise we've built up over 40 years. Understanding what competency looks like in the profession, and when you offer a certification, it has to be a legally defensible standard. So we we actually go through quite some trouble to make a very rigorous quantitative process to validate what the certification looks like. Now it's also true that as a profession we've developed rather rapidly in the last 25 years, 30 30 to 25 years, uh, and because we've been so busy focusing on executing the job. You know, we haven't had the time to develop the internal structures that support mm. what we do as a profession. So I mean that's the role for ISM as a professional society, is to codify and define the professional standards, right, that that tell us what it is that we do for a profession. And so we felt that the moment was ripe now for us. It was nicely timed with our 100th anniversary, but it really was a a reflection of these other important macroeconomic factors.
2: This is sort of like an org chart, but based on processes and uh, competencies.
5: Yeah. In fact, uh, we define the the 85 total competencies for four specific levels in a career. So for an entry-level individual contributor, for someone who's first time in a management role, some the first person, who, the first time a person is in a, a leadership role, say director level, in an organization, and then from the executive level, and as we all know from our careers, uh, the way that you practice um, uh, stakeholder engagement as uh, a, a, an entry-level buyer, very critical skill, but it, the, the competency as it's exercised by someone at the executive level requires different understanding and further development. So Mm -hmm. we've taken the the competencies and arrayed them across those four basic stages of a career so that individuals can see what the roadmap looks like ahead. I want to be a director in my company. Mm -hmm. Now they can sit down with their supervisor and the supervisor can explain, listen, if you want to get to that level or be ready when the opportunity comes along at this company, you know, pick a company at random at DuPont This is a critical skill that you have to work on developing. And now it's a very positive conversation between an employer and an employee around, hey, we want you to grow and develop. You'll be more valuable to us. And by the way, we'll perform at a higher level if our our employees are developing in this way. So that's a very important point, that the the, the four career stages are defined in the model to help companies adopt this and use it for their entire talent development Mm -hmm. plan.
1: Tom, I think that's probably the most exciting thing that I, that I saw when I looked at the mastery model was that now an individual can look at what is it that I need to know. I mean, the most difficult path in any organization is how do I move forward because there is no road map. Mm-hmm. So it's feel your way forward in the dark. And you guys have really turned the lights on. What are the four different stages you've identified in the mastery model?
5: well we we give them labels just to, so that it helps people understand what the uh you know what what the uh, basic stages look like mm-hmm. we we call the the first level sort of that that early career level we call it essentials things you have to know right, right just to get hired then we move to what we call the experienced level you've been in the in the role for a while you've got some seasoning you've been gone to acquire a little bit of special expertise mm-hmm. then we move to what we call the leadership level now you're managing teams managing departments, uh, and then finally the executive leadership level where you've got responsibility typically for the entire function, right? You're at the business unit level, you're at the C-suite level, and you've got responsibility for strategic direction of the team, uh, understanding how that aligns with corporate strategy and objectives, mm-hmm. and so we've, we've defined that at each of those stages. Okay. Now, by the way, uh,
2: just as a, a comment for our listeners, uh, your nice graphic uh, report is this available on uh, ISM uh, website?
5: Yeah, so I, I'm looking at uh, a white paper that we've built uh, to um, uh, help people understand the the, the model and, and its and its full richness, um, and think about how it applies to their organization. And that white paper is available on our website. Could you give us
2: your new
5: URL address? Yeah, we do have a new new URL. It's it's less confusing. It's www instituteforsupplymanagement.org. It's okay.
2: confusing as long as you know how to spell everything. Yeah.
5: <laughs> <laughs> if you don't have fat fingers, you'll be okay.
1: <laughs>
2: if you can't spell it, you shouldn't be in it. <laughs> yeah, that's right.
1: <laughs> Tom, the essentials phase, is this something that someone could actually begin before they're hired? You know, they've made a decision to go into purchasing. Uh, they're in perhaps college and they're finishing up and they know their career is going to be in purchasing, can they you know, get a jump start on it, working with ISM? I, I think that would absolutely prepare them to be the most qualified candidate for that first job
5: mm-hmm. because this reflects, as you, have, as you recall, it reflects employers' expectations of what success looks like. Mm-hmm. You know, this is not based on an academic curriculum, although that's very valuable. But, you know, but the difference between being well-versed in, in book learning Right. And being a very effective practitioner in industry, right? there's a, there's a learning curve. And so uh, I think uh, you know, And some of the smart undergraduates we've met here today you know, in our conference over the last two days, um, they would be looking at a, a model like this and said, all right, listen, not only do I want to get through here and, and finish the top of my class and have a great academic preparation, but I want to understand what employers expect of me, and this is what employers expect. And now, now you can begin to prepare in a way that's a little
1: bit more real Right. For Mm -hmm. the the workplace uh, and accelerate your ability to contribute at a higher level. It's interesting that you say that because we had a guest on our show yesterday, Wes Whitney, who was one of the 30 under 30 winners of the Rising Supply Chain Stars. And he said probably the most startling uh, experience he had was when he went into that first job and realized that all of the book learning he had. Mm Didn't prepare him for the real-world experience.
5: <laughs>
1: that was a real challenge for him.
5: I, I met Wes, and he I, what a delightful young guy. And, and we were talking about He went to Texas A&M.
1: Yes, he did. And,
5: and so we were talking a little about Dr. Gates, because Dr. Gates is revered from his time as, pre, as president of Texas A&M. And, uh, yeah, there's no question that Wes has got a bright future ahead of him.
1: Clearly. Now, what prompted ISM to take what was their certification process before of the last 41 years and and reconstituted into what I consider really a brilliant piece of work. Well, well, thank you for the
5: compliment. So the 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 CPSM is uh, integrated with the mastery model, and in some ways at the at the essentials level that we've been talking about, for instance, that would be um, an a early stage sort of definition of what success looks like in the career, and probably. Uh, is uh, the leading edge of getting ready to take the CPSM exam. Hmm. Uh, The CPSM would be the thing that in particular could get you, help you achieve a competency across a broad array of these competencies Hmm. and move you to that experience level and prepare you, as the CPM explicitly does, prepare you for that first leadership role. So you can see that the mastery model begins earlier than CPSM level. Then there's the CPSM that allows that Mid early to mid career professionals really ready to commit and advance, get ready, and then of course the model extends well beyond the CPSM level as as uh, practitioners advance in their career and they need to continue to develop and grow.
1: Now you said you were in a session this morning, was it that where you introduced the mastery model? Is that correct? That was yesterday morning. Yesterday, mm-hmm. what was the reaction?
5: Uh, Well, we get tremendous positive response. I mean, uh, we hear hear everything from, we've been working on something similar. We haven't been able to figure it out. Thank you so much. Now, remember the model, because ISM has a a broad constituency. Mm -hmm. We work across all industry sectors, companies of all levels of maturity. So we recognize that in our model. That means it's configurable to your specific company's context, right? You're in a particular industry. You've got particular strategy and business objectives. This model probably gets you 80% of where you need to be. But you're going to need to tailor it a little bit Mm -hmm. to your unique circumstances. But I don't know any business leader who wouldn't say – Thank you for getting me 80% of the way before I start, right? <laughs> and I'll, I'll take the last mile from here. Thank you very much. Uh, I know, for instance, I, I, uh, some large Fortune 500 companies have come and approached ISM and said, hey, we're ready to embed this in our talent management plan in the organization. And we're working with a PE firm, for instance, who's embedding this across their portfolio companies as a way of testing the level of maturity in the organizations and helping uh, those companies advance because in this PE firm's case, They recognize that one of the keys to unlocking value in terms of a portfolio
1: company is high procurement and supply chain performance. Okay now in looking at this model you know we sometimes have a a myopic view and not talking about ISM or Tom Derry but uh, a radio jock that this is the United States and it's for the US but this appears to me that it could be
5: used globally. Absolutely, it can. In fact, we did have global practitioners advise us in the uh, development of the model. Um, these competencies apply regardless of cultural context. They apply regardless of industry. They re- apply regardless of your, your particular geography uh, because what's required to be successful as the world gets smaller and more tightly mm-hmm. integrated, you know, that's common. Now, we do, we do see varying degrees of, of maturity and sophistication across the world, but this model – gives people roadmap too, to understand what I have to get to if I want to be on a level playing field with my competitors yeah. or others in my industry
1: and how is this taught or learned
5: well that would depend on the individual context there are a number of different ways on our own website we have an interactive tool so if you go to a particular competency uh, pick one of the sub competencies under big business acumen for instance um, and look at a particular level of experience that you're interested in or that applies to you mm-hmm. and click on that, it immediately displays ISM content and information resources that are directly applicable to that competency at that level. So if nothing else, you've got a list of free and, and a few for-cost products that would be absolutely pertinent to help you advance and develop in that particular area. So that would be the first place to go. Mm-hmm. But there's certainly many other resources that people could go. One of the key, I think one of the the, the um, most valuable features of the model itself is the particular definitions are very uh, uh, very dense and rich. So you need to look in, at, at an individual case or as an organization, you need to look at the very specific definition of the competency. That allows you to tailor a training program Based on the very specific attributes of what success looks like at that level for that specific competency.
1: Now I know that the other thing that I read in here, which I thought was terrific, is you know I've been in the supply chain uh, as a purchasing manager for three years, mm-hmm. and and now I want to move forward, but I don't know where I'm at, so I don't know where to move forward. You have an assessment tool built in. We we, we do have an assessment tool.
5: We have two. We've got a. Uh, a public version that's in beta testing right now will be available very shortly, and we have a customized tool that we also can provide to uh, to companies and or individuals, um, and it allows uh, a person to self-assess and to, and learn where he or she might be behind in a particular area and 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 focus on that. And then I think many uh, many young professionals or or all professionals who have a certain amount of ambition and self-initiative and drive, you know, they'll they'll take it upon themselves to test themselves, how do I stack up, right? Am, mm-hmm. I, am
1: I ready to go? Yeah.
5: And, and and then they'll find a place where they want to focus on.
1: Tom, is this a, a, a list of competencies that one individual might master throughout their career? Or, or are some of them for, you know, the purchasing manager has to have these seven competencies, but the other nine really don't apply? Well, we, we had...
5: There's two philosophies that are really important to understand. I think the first is, like our CPSM, the model takes the view that if you're in procurement, mm-hmm. you need to understand the, uh, the adjacent areas in supply chain at a sufficient level that enables you to be maximally effective. doesn't mean you have to be an expert in logistics, but you do have to understand logistics. doesn't mean you have to be an expert in materials handling, but you have to understand materials handling. So the model is constructed with that view. So there's supply chain design in, in this model. You may or may not be called upon at an early stage in your career to actually do supply chain design work. Mm-hmm. But to be effective, you really do un- un- need to understand how that happens. So that's one key philosophy. The other is that, as we all know, careers take a meandering path even when they're well planned. Right. So this model doesn't imply that you have to master every competency at every stage in order to advance, right? It's not linear that way. Okay. Uh, but as you, as you receive opportunities to uh, take on more responsibility and, and tackle new tasks, um, you'll be exposed to some of these. And some of them will be critical to your being successful because you haven't had to deal with them before. And as you advance into leadership roles and eventually into executive roles, you know, no executive that I know, and yours truly is included <laughs> in this group, uh, is a master of all disciplines of business. Mm-hmm. But we know enough to know how do I find the right people, you know, what does success look like? And so the mastery model also helps that person understand to manage a large extended enterprise, to hit strategic goals of a corporation, you know, what do I need, what do I need to look for in my team to make sure I'm covered? Mm-hmm. Right? We, all, we all hire around our own weaknesses, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: By the way, I, I'd be uh, remiss if uh, we didn't mention a new book that is coming out, by Adriana Sanford and Brad uh, Holcomb, uh, and I understand you did the uh, intro to the book. Uh, and the name of the book is.
5: Oh, I, I don't. I don't think that the final title of the book has been decided. No, I don't think it has. But it, but it deals with issues of of ethics right. and and social responsibility in you know the, the vastly changing world that that we're working in, and the different understandings, right. Uh, And particularly, Dr. Sanford's expertise is in understanding the uh, the the varying legal regimes that apply, Mm -hmm. and how companies and individuals have to understand what the the standards as they exist around the world, and sometimes they're stricter in some locations. Uh, so I was happy and, and honored to be asked to write a preface for that book and, and happy to do so.
2: Well, we, we had some interesting conversations with her over the last two days, and uh, we're hopeful that uh, she will be uh, sharing a spot with us uh, on some ongoing basis uh, on Manufacturing Talk Radio. She's a
1: very well-qualified expert in this area. Mm-hmm. Tom, what are some of the certifications that ISM offers that now are enhanced by the Mastermind? Well, two specifically. So we've talked about the CPSM, and we've talked about how the model can prepare an
5: individual to be ready to take the CPSM, and then allows them to extend their learning beyond it. But it's also related to our certification. Uh, it's called the certification uh, for certified professional in supplier diversity, uh, and, and supplier diversity is one is one of the competencies that's addressed in this model. Mm-hmm. And so the model uh, applies to that person who's, who wants to specialize in that. Um, We we gave a corporate award, for instance, to ConocoPhillips at this conference for the work in sustainability, and particularly for a natural gas project they were doing in Australia. And they they went far above the local content requirements that the Australian government had established. For instance, 70% of the total cost of that project, which is a $12 billion project, 70% of that cost was spent with local suppliers. Mm. So that's a good example of supplier diversity. You know, you need to find the local qualified people, get them up to speed if they're not quite ready to serve your needs. And at a project of that scale, you need a certain level of sophistication and scale and scope. Uh, And
1: so the CPSD would be relevant to a person who's dealing with those kinds of issues. Now, I know that Sally Krawcheck spoke yesterday as a keynote speaker. She presented some uh, aspects of what, Uh, People, particularly women, are looking for in uh, the corporate world, Mm -hmm. and one of those ranks actually number one is this element around corporate social responsibility. I mean, this is a real shift for corporations and even for our perceptions of corporations. Instead of them pillaging the countryside and despoiling uh, earth and water. Tell us how you feel about that. <laughs> <laughs> they uh, are they're more socially and, and environmentally responsive. Explain that competency to us in this mastery. Yeah, Well, uh, that, that concept of corporate social responsibility is one of the
5: high-level competencies that is embedded in this model. And, and I'll explain why. Uh, you know, we talked about the millennial generation a little bit earlier in the show. Uh, as consumers, that millennial generation, and the, and the term that Sally Krochak used was they're looking for meaning and purpose mm-hmm. in the work that they do, but also in the companies that they work with, right, and, and, they, and they want to be loyal customers of. So um, as I've, I've had it, heard it expressed, it's not how much money you make as a company. It's how you make your money. That's becoming the important criteria. Mm. And you're being judged by your prospective customers in your ability to perform as a good corporate citizen. Right. Um, my, my daughter recently we, we bought a car for her. It's a Subaru. Mm-hmm. I bought the car because I knew it was well-made and she'd be safe. You
4: know, right. that, was my, that was my concern. <laughs> right. Right?
5: Um, and she didn't worry about the price because she figured dad had, dad had that covered. Right. <laughs> but was, what was very important to her was that the car was made an emissions-free, waste free plant in Indiana. Fascinating. And so that's that's become the shifting scene is that the purchase criteria that are important to the emerging customer set includes these other dimensions. And companies that understand that will will thrive and do well. They'll find loyal customers who really feel aligned to the company's values. And uh, companies that miss that point, well, they're going to struggle to be competitive. So that's baked into the model.
1: Well, that's interesting because one of the things that's in the, the model that you always talk about is the stakeholders and understanding who the stakeholders are. And now it appears that the consumer stakeholder, instead of just buying a product at the cheapest price, is becoming a real voice in that product. Uh, you know, and we see it in lots of contexts, but
5: one obvious one, one, one uh, you know, uh, good example of what we're talking about is the shift in consumer taste in the food they purchase, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. right? We're, we're seeing a shift away from mass-produced foods to organic, locally sourced foods. Um, and people clearly have indicated they're willing to pay a premium, right, compared to the traditional supermarket fare for those kinds of food stops. Uh, you know, the, the, the bias against non-GMO foods in some some locations. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, consumer tastes are shifting. Their preferences are shifting, and companies that track with that, I think, are well-positioned
1: to, to, to benefit from that. And companies that and aren't tracking with that, they're going to struggle. I would agree. Now, we're just down to about a minute, minute and a half left of the show here, Tom, and we want to thank you for a couple of things. Uh, thank you for taking the time to explain the mastery model to us. I think it's incredibly important, and anyone listening to the show, anyone who's even considering supply chain or is in supply chain, they really need to go to the website and dig into this. Thank, thank you for presenting it.
5: Well, we did it as a service to the profession, and that's why we provided it at no cost. So anybody, it's available to you. You can take a look at it and see how it applies.
1: The other thing we want to thank you for is this show. Uh, we were honored to be here to work with ISM. This is the second year we've been here. We're looking forward to the show in Indianapolis next year. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, this this is a really important and powerful show that people really have to be at, I have to say. Well, you know, this
5: adds the excitement that we all feel at this conference, and really, really appreciate you being here to take the time with us. Thank you. And uh, we'll be at Disney as well.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That wraps us up today for Manufacturing Talk Radio.
0: Thanks for joining us on Manufacturing Talk Radio. You can hear our next broadcast each Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time at msgtalkradio.com.
2: This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business
0: podcasts, visit c com.